Welcome to Sitka Tells Tales, airing live on KCW Sitka. I'm your host, Ellen Frankenstein. The theme tonight is mysterious tales of unexplained things that create awe, wonder, fear, and more. I'm excited to be here. We have a live audience in the Mean Queen and the Dungeon, and we're broadcasting. I want to say that we are here on Klinket Ani, um, the ancestral homeland of the Klinket, and it's pretty amazing. We have great gratitude for that and to be here in a place where people have been telling tales since time immemorial. Tonight, we have six stories to share about ghosts, UFOs, meteorites, and more. Some of these are true stories, or at least true to the tellers. And um, we hope that they'll give you chills and goosebumps and maybe make hair stand up on your spine. This episode, we are going to hear from Chuck Miller, Ellie Campbell, Luke Burkhart, Spencer Severson, Maureen O'Hanlon, and Madison Bishop. I'm so appreciative of everyone who made tonight possible. Let's welcome our first teller, Chuck Miller. Come on up. I'm honored that he's going to start tonight, and we always like to joke that when we met each other, he was a teenager, and I wasn't much older. Cheese, Ellen. It's an honor to be here and share a little bit of the knowledge that I have that's been handed down to me from our ancestors here and the elders. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit about the Kushtaka. A lot of people ask about that and what that means. And I know that a lot of our Tlingit people growing up as young people, I was talking to my, my uh, brother over here, Kajistiish, and we're talking about when we were growing up, they always used to tell us younger people, you don't talk about them. You don't talk about them. Well, why? I didn't understand why. And then finally, as we got older, they said, well, if you talk about them and you're at such a young, vulnerable age, they'll hear you and they'll come and get you because you're so vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know any better. And Kushtaka, for those of you that don't know, Kushtaka is uh, half man, half land otter. That's what it means. Kushta means land otter, the animal. Kushtaka means land otter, man. And the whole point behind these, uh, these beings, uh, supernatural beings, is their whole goal for their existence is to take you to the deep woods and take your spirit from you. They're evil. They're very evil beings. And so that's why they would tell us, don't talk about them. So we never heard very many stories growing up, but we also know it was kind of like, don't say it too loud, they'll hear you. So it was always to educate us that we need to be respectful of the kushtaka. So when people are always ask me, like Ellen, she already knew. She's like, you want to talk about kushtaka? No, you know what I'm going to tell you? No. But I figured, <laughs> I figured it's a good time to educate people about what kushtaka really means and what it means to our Tlingit people because these are, these are mythological beings according to some people, but I believe they're real. I've been in the woods myself. I haven't had an encounter, but I tell you what, there's some places in this Sitka area that just creeped me out. And uh, Blue Lake's one of them. I don't know why. 
Uh, anyways, I want to share a story with you that my father, my late father, Jay Miller, sh shared with me about his hunting encounter. Usually when, they're, when I hear these encounters, it's when people have been hunting or out in the woods. So I might get to do two, maybe, but we'll see. Uh, he was telling me that him and his uh, friend, Harry Jimmy, so though some of you might know the late Harry Jimmy, he was his best friend. They were hunting in the Sitka area for black-tailed deer. And my father saw a deer, and he went to go shoot it. And when he shot it, he saw it go down. And he knew exactly where it was. So he went towards where he thought it was, where he hit it. Couldn't find any blood. Couldn't find it anywhere. And he was having a hard time trying to explain what he was seeing to me. He says, well, I looked around, looked around. I didn't see anything. But then something kind of caught my eye when I looked down again because I thought that's where, I, where it went down. He said, instead of seeing um, the dead deer, it almost looked like you could see through it, but it was the background was the ground, but there was something there. And then he said, this thing, mor it morphed into something else. It stood up, and like a they're like about uh, three feet, like a small child. They're not very tall. Stood up and started presenting itself as a, as a being, and what he said he saw was what, what I told you, it was half man, half landotter. And my father didn't speak the Tlingit language. He was uh, born Haida, but he knew some of our language. And so he knew that thing was talking to him in Tlingit. It said something to him in the Tlingit language. He didn't know what it was. But at the end, he said it stood up, said something to him in Tlingit, and they went, <laughs> and ran the other way. And he said he went the other way, too, as fast as he possibly could. He was scared spitless. he never seen nothing like that. And even when I was listening to this story, all the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And another thing with these kushtaka, they tend to take on the shape. They're shapeshifters. They tend to take on the shape of a loved one that you would never encounter. Like, why are you out here in the woods? My brother, who lived next door to me, uh, Jeff Nielsen, some of you might know him, he shared a, a small story with me about his grandfather, the late Charlie Joseph Sr. The, him and his brothers went out hunting, and their grandfather didn't come. And they're out hunting, and all of a sudden, he's walking in the woods, and all of a sudden, his grandfather appeared to him right there. And he's like, Grandpa, what are you doing here? <laughs> he had no idea why he was there. I'm like, well, didn't we leave you? You were, you were supposed to be at home. And he says, Grandpa talked to him and clink it. And he says, it kept motioning to him, come this way come this way. They want to take you to the deep woods. That's their whole goal, is to take you and take your soul away from you. And he said, no. He stopped, and he went back, and then he told his grandfather, he says, ah, that's kushtaka. He's trying to take you away from us. So those are two stories that I know about the kushtaka. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, other than that, yeah, they, they do are they're shapeshifters, and they want you to go, and, and I've not seen them, so... I hope you enjoyed what I shared with you. They, they creep me out just listening to these stories again, but those are true stories that I've heard from our people here. So, Gunachish, thank you. Gunachish, Chuck. Next up is Ellie Campbell. And Ellie is a recovering theater kid with a love of small talk and color theory. You can find her walking her teeny pony and selling salt. Welcome, Ellie. 
Thank you, everybody. Don't mind me. I'm just going to adjust my mic. I'm usually the person sitting up in the front with the headphones. Thanks so much, Becky, for doing the live remote. Yes. Um, pretty nerve-wracking to be up here. And I've worked in theaters a lot in my entire life. So I've got plenty of creepy theater stories. But I thought to kind of switch it up, I wanted to tell a story about my dead grandpa. I think about him a lot. I wear his engagement ring all the time. Um, and I love to tell this story because I come from a family of tall tale tellers. Um, if you know me, you know that I don't shut up. Um, but what you may not know about me is I am probably the quietest one in my entire family. Like you leave Campbell family reunions and your ears physically hurt. Like they hurt. Everybody loves to talk and everybody loves to tell a story. My dad will tell a story a hundred times and it won't be the same every time. Who's to say if this story is true? Who knows? So my uh, dear grandpa, uh, my whole family on my dad's side is from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about an hour north, middle of nowhere, grew up on a farm. And my family is, my grandpa especially is a fixer. Um, he would always have a multi-tool and a wrench and a series of Allen wrenches in his pockets at all times. Um, my grandpa could fix anything. He always had his fingers in a tractor or in a car or in God knows what unfinished uh, woodworking project was sitting around the house. I'm sure everybody here can relate to that. I can. Um, so when I was in probably third or fourth grade, my grandpa got really sick. And we're the only side of the family that lives in Alaska. So my dad decided that me and him would go down there and take care of my grandpa for a couple weeks. And I mean, it was a really long trip. So the plan was either stay for a couple weeks and grandpa would get better and we would be happy that grandpa got better or stay for a couple weeks and grandpa wouldn't get better and we would stick around for whatever happened after that. So we went back east and spent some time with my grandpa in the hospital. I have this vivid, vivid memory of sitting in the hospital with my grandpa's EKG like going and going through my like third grade vocabulary with him and learning how to spell the word Wednesday by him spelling out Wednesday. <laughs> um, he was a really funny guy, loved to chat with me about God knows what, especially spelling Wednesday, Wednesday, if you will. Um, and we stuck around there for a couple weeks. The whole family was around my grandma's house. And my grandma, my grandma's a collector. With a name like Campbell, I'm sure you can imagine that my grandma loves old Campbell suit memorabilia. She loves it. She's got mugs from the 60s. She's got a clock that like screams mm-mm good every hour on the hour. Scares the crap out of me every time I'm home. And she collects plates. My grandma loves to collect plates. Her entire living room is just full of plates all over the walls that my grandpa mounted over several years. They've got the plates from their wedding day. They've got plates from when they were up in Alaska. They've got plates from uh, random people who have sold them to her at craft fairs where my grandma sells her quilts, stuff like that. So we were back east for a couple weeks, and grandpa wasn't getting better. And again, I was probably in third grade at the time. I don't remember when grandpa died, but grandpa died. Um, and a couple weeks later, we were all getting ready for the funeral. Nobody was in the kitchen. Nobody was in the dining room. 
everybody's getting ready for the funeral. Everybody's like sad, you know. I'm in third grade. I have no idea what's going on. I'm like playing with Legos downstairs or something. God knows what. And suddenly everybody hears this huge crash from the dining room. Everybody rushes in and is like, what's going on? What's going on? And there, the day of my grandpa's funeral, um, my grandpa's least favorite plate had effectively jumped off of the wall and shattered on the ground. (laughs) And now everybody in my family loves to tell the story, being like, yeah, like grandpa decided that he hated it and he just wanted to break it and grandpa decided blah, blah, blah. And and (laughs) some people in my family are like, yeah, everybody says that grandpa broke it, but it was just old and it broke off the side of the wall, you know? But none of those plates have ever, like, fallen off the wall. None of those plates have ever fallen or broken like my grandpa knows how to install things well my grandpa has fixed many a car my grandpa has fixed many a tractor my grandpa put every single one of those plates up on the wall but the one plate that he hated he decided to break I think I think who's to say what our grandparents or our loved ones do in the afterlife I just find it ironic and so funny that my grandpa the fixer decided to break something when he died. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ellie. Let's let's give a, a clap for our people. I got to say, one thing I love about doing this, it's, it's kind of sometimes painful to drag people in to tell stories, but it's yeah. really, yeah. I do a lot of coercion, I do a lot of conversations, but it's really fun to get to know people, it's really fun to get the tellers together to go over their stories, and it's really great to share them. So thanks for being here. Now, I'm excited for storyteller number three, as we are here, broadcasting Sick of Tales Tales on KCAW Live. Here comes... Here comes Luke Burkhart. Am I saying your name right? Um, Luke is a chef and a part owner of Campfire Kitchen here in Sitka. He grew up in Barrow, Alaska from, um, yep, up until the age of 18. He left and lived in cities for the last 22 years of his life until he finally moved back to Sitka in 19, no, in 2020. And come on up and... We have the. He also instigated the theme of this event. So, hit it, Luke. All right. Super nervous. Okay. Um, I got two stories for you. The first is a UFO story, and the other one's a haunted house story. Uh, the first one, uh, late 1990s, Barrow, Alaska. Growing up, I'm in high school, and I'm walking home from. Uh, from the day of school. It's about 4 o'clock, and it's uh, winter. And uh, late afternoon up in Barrow, it's, uh, it's 24 hours of darkness, so on a clear day, even during the daytime, you can see stars for days. And there was one time I was walking home, and uh, I looked up into the sky, and I saw this bright, glowing orb just pulsing with light and energy. As I'm up there staring at it, I then see it go from, from point A to point B and streak across the sky like a meteor, and then it stops dead in its tracks. And then 
it just kept going on like that. It would streak the other way uh, and go backwards and stop and then streak across the sky the other way and then stop until finally after about 30 seconds to a minute of this going on, it would just leave the sky like a meteor going the opposite way. And uh, this went on. This was a common sighting up in Barrow, Alaska. And uh, you'd see these for a number of days. You'd sometimes see them every other week. And uh, it's common knowledge that these were just the the UFOs and the aliens, and that's where they are. You just <laughs> you just see it. It's it's not a big deal. <laughs> and uh, and anyways, during this time growing up in Barrow, Alaska, I uh, I saw so many crazy things, apparitions, uh, ghostly sounds, chants uh, from from nowhere, things like being literally lifted off the ground. And when I finally left Alaska at 18, I was I was really excited to leave and it gave me this overwhelming like sense and feeling of this uh, large piece of wonder and awe for life. And uh, Alaska to me was a very, very like charged and spirited and haunted place. And then so when I was coming back to Alaska after being gone for about 20 years and uh, I was deeply afraid to come back because there's this part of me that just felt like, God, I really want to come back, but it's fucking really haunted part of my language. Um, <laughs> very sorry, very sorry. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm back in Alaska, and uh, I'm, moving in, I'm moving into a house, uh, or, an apart, or a house that we rented with my girlfriend at the time who was pregnant, and uh, I stepped one foot in this house, and I knew... I was like, the moment I stepped in, I was like, oh my God, this place is super haunted. And, and, I, and I walk upstairs and I'm like, okay, that's where you live, ghost. You live in the little bedroom upstairs in that corner. Like, I'll respect you, you respect me, I'll leave you alone. Like, like uh, okay, you're here, I'm here, you know? And uh, anyhow, all kinds of crazy things would happen. Anyone that would stay in that room would uh, wake up with migraines, um, uh, there was a time we had friends uh, visiting and their children were sleeping in this room where the ghosts live and they would literally talk about the old lady and the cats living in the house. And I'm like, I told you, I told you this place is haunted. <laughs> and, um, and then there was a time I was uh, sweeping uh, underneath uh, the couch and I pulled out this piece of paper that these kids drew and it was the detailed map of their time in Sitka started Swan Lake, and then they marched back to Market Center, and then they marched back to the haunted house that they wrote and painted in big letters. Like, I, I knew it. I have physical evidence. This place is haunted. And then there was, there was uh, there were a couple moments that really, like, just started to, like, peak. Uh, we were watching the baby monitor one night, and all of a sudden, these bright white light orbs start streaking across the monitor, and then in a flash, they're all gone. And then, and then the baby wakes from a dead sleep and is just screaming and hollering. And then we were like, we can't take this anymore. So I moved downstairs. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I talked to a friend who was a, also a chiropractor. And uh, she gave me all these ritualistic things to do, like, you know, burn some sage and get some salt water and spray it in the air and recite this prayer and go to the lights or whatever the hell. And I'm up there, I'm up there doing all of this ritualistic nonsense. And... And I had my, the craziest ghost moment of my life where I'm up there and I just feel this, whatever the thing was, it just moved like through me, like through my whole physical body. And it felt like 
like thick air was just being pushed through you and you were like completely out of breath and in a state of like momentary paralysis. It was just nuts. Anyhow, um, so after that, I was afraid to go up there alone. And then uh, uh, fast forward, we're finally moving out of this place and our child at the time, our child was eight months old. And we are, we're walking out of the house, turning out the lights, and she utters her first full English word perfectly that I've never heard her say, and she says out loud, bye-bye. I'm like, who are you saying bye-bye to? Like, like, like you've, never, you've never said bye-bye in your life. I'm like, oh my God. And it just sent chills down my spine, but, but after, <laughs> after coming back to Alaska and now being back into a haunted place, I'm just, um, I'm still like left with this feeling like this whole place is so haunted. But, but, you know, it's like, I'll respect you ghosts if you respect me, all right? Those are my stories. <laughs> Did anyone get a little chill during that? Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't quite believe in ghosts, I'm not sure where I stand on that. But thank you, Luke. Thank you all for being here. And we have another storyteller coming up, Maureen O'Hanlon. I'm very glad she's going to tell a story. I ask everyone to send me an intro. I love the intro that Maureen sent me. And I've actually found a way to see in this light. Uh, Maureen has lived in Sitka since 2015. This is her vehicle history in Sitka. It starts with a red flatbed T100 with no exhaust, which was so loud that driving it was a constant source of shame. Her second car was a white 91 Forerunner uh, that was pretty great, but it didn't work out. Oh, wait, it didn't work out because she just wanted a place to put her wet surfboards. Upon posting on Facebook for $3,000, she got 60 messages in a day and realized that she could have charged double her asking price. Like me, she flunked capitalism. Now, she has a gold Ford Ranger and so far, so good. With an introduction like that, you can't wait for the story. All right, I'm just gonna tell my story because I'm worried about time. <laughs> so in 2017, I traveled to Japan by myself and I ended up staying there for three months. And this was the first time I'd really traveled and I picked Japan because I knew it was a safe place to go. And I had also taken Japanese for a year, senior year of college. So I had a little bit, <laughs> just enough. Um, and I did what a lot of tourists do, which is I got the rail pass where you can have unlimited train travel for three weeks or any number of weeks. But I did the three-week option. And so I got there in... September and it was pretty muggy down in Tokyo and I wanted to get to the countryside and I wanted to get out of the humidity so I went north and ended up in the Japan Alps which is a mountain range in the center of Honshu the main island of Japan and um, it turned out that the Alps this was the perfect time of year to go there in the fall 
because there's changing colors in the foliage. It was a bunch of ground cover that was orange and green at the time, and it looked really good. Um, and I saw ptarmigans for the first time and heard them for the first time out there. Um, and so I did this backpacking trip through the Alps, through this one ridge. <clears throat> and the way that it worked was you take a gondola up the mountain, <laughs> and then you walk like 100 more feet up to the top, <laughs> and then you go <laughs> along the ridge. <laughs> And the ridge has these pre-planned stops, and each stop has a lodge on it on the top of the mountain. <laughs> and like, there, I think there were, I probably stopped at four of these lodges. It was four nights. And um, I was the only one tent camping because it cost a lot to stay in these buildings. And everyone else on the trail was a retired Japanese person. And so they were all over 65. Many of them had to have been over 70. And they were hiking with day packs and staying in these buildings. And um, as we were going along the trail, I was alone, but um, everybody that passed me would say, kiyotsukete, 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 every single one of them said the same exact thing. And I gathered that it meant, like, be careful or something like that. It sounded like be careful to me. And I I didn't know what it meant, so I didn't say it back to them, but I I would say I would say to them, gochui, which I learned from the, the train. <laughs> When the train says, like, stand clear of the, or beware the closing doors. <laughs> and I was, I, I was actually saying it to a few people, um, and it turned out that kiyotsukete just means take care, and it would have been <laughs> better to just say that back, but, um, it, the trail, the trail was pretty crowded with people, and, um, so the, the story, the story that I'm telling has to do with just one night where I'm staying at a tent spot, and there's a, Lodge. There, these lodges aren't big. They had to be helicoptered in piece by piece. So it's like a, it's a building on the ridge up up above, and the tent spots are down this little, um, a, a few switchbacks down the mountain. And I'm on this platform. It's like a terrace of tent spots. And I this one night I was, <clears throat> I was in my tent after dark. It was probably not super late though. Um, and I would usually write in my journal with my headlamp on red mode. And this journal, <laughs> looking like there's no point reading this journal. It's literally just me keeping myself company while I was traveling alone. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's no, no value to it. <laughs> um, but I was writing in this journal and um, I noticed, so it's important to pay attention to how I'm oriented on the mountain because my left side is uphill, facing the uphill. My right side is facing the downhill. And there's some shrubs and stuff right next to me. So there is a steep slope going up above me to the left. And I, I noticed while I was writing a little light appear on the side of my tent that looked like somebody was walking toward me with a flashlight, except if somebody was really walking toward me, they would be bouncing and the light would be jagged and stuff. But it was basically just a spot of light that appeared to be either focusing or going out of it was like changing and stable and as soon as I noticed it this all was in a few seconds but I turned off my headlamp I think I looked at it and I was thinking about going out and exiting the tent to figure out what it was but as soon as I even had the thought to do that I um I just heard this sound go overhead that was like and it sounded just like a super high-speed object flying really close overhead and then as soon as I heard the noise the light was gone and I think I went outside after that, and I didn't see anybody walking. There was nobody outside with a flashlight or anything like that. But um, I, I think I decided right pretty quickly. I was like, well, the only thing to my left is a steep slope and the sky, so I think it's a meteorite that went by. And I'm pretty sure, like, 
based on my logic, which is like, I don't know what else it could have been, therefore it's a meteorite. <laughs> and, and I stick by it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not looking for suggestions of like, what else it could have been. <laughs> but um, in the morning, I went to that lodge and I, I got like a hot drink because you could, you could get ramen or cocoa. And um, I told the desk lady <laughs> that I, I I had an app that worked offline and I think I probably googled the right words to describe to her that I am pretty sure I heard I like I think I even told her the whole story of like a light on my tent <laughs> in Japanese terrible approximations of like a meteorite flying by overhead <laughs> and I I think I did get the point across and I I doubt I doubt that she or anyone believes me <laughs> but um it's fun to it's fun to try to get people to believe it though <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Maureen, thank you. That was excellent. Yeah, let's give her another clap. And appreciate these tellers. I know that they are like rehearsing and nervous. And so it takes a lot of guts. And you two out there could be tellers. So, you know, if you're churning your, are you thinking about it? We have a sign-up sheet. So, again, we're listening to Sitka Tells Tales, airing live on KCAW. And next up is Spencer Severson. Okay. Spencer came, Spencer came up here to be a diver. He's not doing that now. But he is an active salmon fisherman. He has lived here in Sitka for close to 35 years and likes to take on projects from wooden boats to fixer up houses that never end. Here he comes. He, he, well, I wanted to tell you a direct story about a bunch of kids that got terrified on Halloween. But the more I tried to rehearse the story and figure it out, the more I began to realize it was really more complex than that. It's really about a man who really couldn't communicate and found other ways to communicate. So it took place between the ages of two and five, so naturally I have total recall. <laughs> and, and if not, my cousins and my sister and I have rehearsed the story so many times that we, we've made it up thoroughly and we totally agree on it. <laughs> well, what happened was my father left when I was two and my sister was four, and he didn't leave anything behind. But, uh, but And my mother was not, naturally not in a very good space, so she had to move back in with her parents. Well, her parents had homestead land up this long road about a mile or two. It was right at the end of the road. There were several houses along the road, but they were at the very end of it. And one, and in that, we lived in the basement. It was one of, I've seen pictures of it, so I know what it looked like. It had those, what they call oaky brick. The, the, the siding was uh, tar paper with the brick patterns. And it had a, it was a small house and it had a basement. We lived in the basement. Grandma and Grandpa lived upstairs. 
Well, my grandfather was a terrifying man. The thing was, he, he was born on the ship coming over from Norway. So he was raised on a homestead up in, or a farm up in North Dakota, and he only got to go to the third grade. And then he went off and became an apprentice tractor mechanic. And so he eventually ended up in Wisconsin, and he married my grandmother, and that's us. So they had, uh, but he was, he had, he had no personal skills. He was kind of terrifying. And when he did, what little he spoke was about half profanities. <laughs> and if you fell down and you skinned your knees and you cried, he would just yell at you and he'd say, you damn cry baby and get, go over and whine to grandma, you know? So <laughs> you, you just learned to be, and so us kids all labeled him Scary Grandpa. That was our name for him. <laughs> But he, there was a lot of woods around that place, I mean, real thick woods. And my sister would take my hand and take me out to the outhouse if I had to go out after dark. With the, and with the flashlight, you could see the eyes looking out of the woods. I swear there were lots of eyes. There were probably tigers and wolves and everything in there. <laughs> anyway, they, uh, that's the way the place was, though. And then... We had an opportunity, my, but my grandfather, for all of how scary he was, he used to do interesting things like he took us uh, kids and sat us all down and he took some stalks of grass and he took one long stalk and made a body and then he took the others and he made legs and then he set that walking stick down this, and, and it walked away. It was, <laughs> I mean, he was magic. We've all talked about that many times over the years, and we all believe it. We saw it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so what well, the story comes down to is we were in um, Halloween, and I had just turned five years old. And my cousin, Tim and Jimmy, were over there, and my sister. And we all got our little bags and our outfits on, and we started walking down that road and going to all the neighbors' houses. We got our goodies, and it got darker and darker, and those woods got more and more closer to the dirt road. And then we were on our way home. And as we were getting close to home, somebody looked up and went, look! And we all looked up, and there was a real witch up in the trees. And she looked really malevolent. And she had the big tall hat, and she had a long black cape, and she hung, and she had a broomstick. And she was looking at us, the scary look, and we all just stood there in ab absolute terror. We just stood frozen. And then after a little while, she just sailed off on her broomstick, and she went across the road and disappeared in the forest on the other side. So my thoughts about my story, I can't decide whether it's actually about a terrifying witch or about a terrifying man who found other ways to express his love for people. How's our live audience? All right, so now I can't believe we've gotten to our last teller um, at this another Sick and Tales Tales adventure we're having and these stories of mysterious things. Um, I'm really excited to bring up Madison Bishop. Uh, she's new to Sitka, and she was born and raised in Oregon. 
She works at the Woodfire Pizza Kitchen and Brewery. She's looking forward to more Alaska adventures, and I think she currently, currently has three cats, correct? Let's hear it for Madison. Hi, I'm Madison. Um, my story's a little sad, but it is ghost-related. Um, it takes place in, God, seven or eight years ago in my little hometown in Oregon. Um, it was late spring, early summer, and my parents and I were going out to breakfast, and the neighborhood was still under construction, and it was just the bare bones of houses um, and as we're driving, I see this little patch of grass and what looks like this little tiny squirrel. And I mentioned how cute it is. Uh, and then we keep going to breakfast. And on our way back, I realize it's still there. And that was kind of odd to me. It's been an hour. Why is this little wildlife still here? Um, so I have my dad pull over and I grab my sweater and I walk out to it and I realize it's this little tiny kitten. Um, her nose was mangled and her eyes were sealed shut. And it was a really pitiful sight. Um, so we, we go to the emergency hospital as quick as we can, uh, vet hospital, and they take her in, not a human hospital, not the ER, <laughs> um, and they take her in, they get her all cleaned up, um, they realize that she was born just a couple days ago, she probably would have only lived another couple days if we hadn't have found her. She was fully deaf and almost totally blind, so her favorite activity was running into the wall, and then sneezing afterwards, which was the cutest sight you could have seen. And the vet fixed her up and told us we can take her to the shelter and hope that she's adopted, and if she's not within a certain time frame, she'll be put down. Or you guys can take her, and I wasn't going to let my parents say no to that, so I took her. Um, I named her Georgia after the song by Ray Charles, and she was the absolute love of my life. She always looked scraggly the way that she does there. She never grew out of that phase. She always looked homeless and stray, and I loved it. Um, and about a year later, she got really, really sick very suddenly. And I was at a friend's house, and my parents took her to the vet, and she sadly got put down that day. Um, I wasn't there for it, and I never got to say my goodbyes to her. And that really left a scar on my heart. And I heard the news, came home, I built her uh, a little coffin out of a shoebox, and it had actually that, that towel that she's standing on there. Uh, that was the one I used to wrap her up when I first found her. And that was always, that was her blanket. Um, and she was, she was so small her whole life, and she fit inside this little shoebox, and I filled it with all of her favorite toys and things to comfort her in the afterlife. Um, and we buried her in the backyard with all of our other childhood pets. I had a bad habit of bringing home strays. <laughs> it was quite the pet cemetery back there. Um, and I was brokenhearted, and I went upstairs to probably go cry some more. And I opened my door, and, and there she is laying on my bed, clear as day, not a doubt in my mind that that was her. And at first, it scared everything out of me. And then I realized that it was, it was my baby, and she was there, and she was, she was coming to see me. And I hesitantly crawled up next to her and cuddled her, and I just held her, held her until I fell asleep. And I woke up, and she was gone. But there was an imprint in the mattress where she was. 
And I remember I could, I could feel her and everything about it was so real. And I still swear that it, it was her. She was there. And she was, she was telling me that it's going to be okay and that she's okay now and that we gave her the life that she never would have gotten. And, and I still think about her. She's always there reminding me that things are okay. And she was the first, the first time I ever got visited by a past pet. And I still do sometimes to this day. And it's, it's my fun little supernatural aura. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you, Madison. Now, when you see these tellers, one thing I think I love to create community. Sitka's a community, right? So we, but we still don't know each other, and we all tend, you know, we don't mean to be clicky. But Madison's new to town. So now when you see her in the grocery store, you're going to really see her. So that's another thing about storytelling. But, you know, sometimes our storytellers take longer than other times. And I think um, we are ahead of time. So we have an extra teller. I haven't rehearsed him. We did talk on the phone today. I know he's from Texas. I know he used to work at Raven's Way. I know he's got a great sense of humor, and he also works at the brewery. We've got a, a brewery theme here, though we're very happy to be at the Mean Queen. Charlie, you want to come up? All right. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm Charlie. I'm originally from Texas, and my wife and I moved up here like six years ago. Uh, and I'm really glad that Chuck shared the story about the Otterman, because I actually have uh, an experience with an otterman that's actually my wife's experience, but she won't tell it because she's too shy. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so um, some years ago, I think it was probably like three or four years ago now, um, she was out uh, running with our dogs. Uh, we have two small uh, miniature Australian shepherds. They are unbelievably friendly, and they would never raise a bark to someone they didn't like. And they're... Uh, I've, yeah, I've never seen them like just snarl at someone before. And on this day, while she was running through Totem Park, um, they stopped dead in their tracks and their, their hair got raised up on their backs and they snarled like they had never snarled before. There was something evil in front of them and they didn't know what it was, but they knew it was dangerous. And so Ariana is, 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 Ariana is my wife's name. And so Ariana stops and she's like looking around and doesn't know what she's oh, man, there's a, there's a guy over there, and about 20 feet off the trail, there was this dude that was uh, roughly my height, about 5'9". Uh, he had long, shaggy, really dark hair, beard, looking real dirty, scraggly, beat-up old clothes, and she'd never seen this guy before. Like, he's, like he, it was the first time she'd ever seen him. And the dogs were just going nuts, and he just stood there staring. And so... Uh, she was. She didn't know what to do. She was kind of frozen in place. And then suddenly, like this guy drops down behind this bush. He like ducks down, and he's now out of sight. And so now panic is really setting in. She's like, "Oh my God, where is this guy gonna go?" Uh, and so she's like getting ready to run or fight. She doesn't know. And then out of nowhere, this eagle flies out of from behind this bush. And the dogs immediately stopped barking. They stopped snarling. They went back to their normal happy selves. 
and they didn't know what, uh, and they were fine. Well, she, Ariana didn't know where this guy was. She's like, all right, that was weird. This eagle flew off, but where's this guy? And she went over and looked behind this bush and there was no way this dude could have ducked down and crawled away or run away or anything. He's, he was just gone. No footsteps, nothing. And so we, we had no idea what this was. And so we went to a few elders in town uh, trying to understand what this was because this was definitely something supernatural. We had, and we wanted to understand it. And according to the three or four elders we went to, this was an otterman. And we were... That, and they said, they shared that he was trying to teach, may have been trying to teach some kind of lesson, or maybe a, like Chuck had shared that he was trying to draw her into uh, further into the woods, but she had never seen this guy before. So we're not inquire, entirely sure. And we spent like months just like agonizing over like, what could this mean? And finally we just like gave up and it's still an unsolved mystery. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie, for doing that. And uh, I do want to thank Madison and Charlie and all our tellers, Chuck, Luke, Maureen, and Spencer, for bringing Sicka Tales Tales to life. Oh, and Ellie, did I leave Ellie out? Sorry. I knew there was a name missing. Um, in person and on the radio. And I hope people are listening and enjoying this from their homes. I really want to thank... Mary and Patrick and the Mean Queen for giving us this space. I want to thank the Sitka Soup and the Sentinel for helping us get the word out. To Shannon for timing. For Misha for taking some pictures, photos. I also want to thank Adam, who you can't see because he's at the station, and Becky. It's really fun to do this live and on the radio and make it ready for podcasts. And Dave Emmert, who helps us tidy this up and get it, get it ready so we can air it again and have it on podcasts so you can listen to these stories again and again. And our live audience. Let's thank our live audience for showing up. You've been a great audience, and thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us for Sitka Tells Tales, a live storytelling event based in Sitka, Alaska. This evening's program was originally performed and broadcasted live from the Mean Queen in Sitka on November 15th, 2022. For more information on Sitka Tells Tales, you can visit artchangeinc.com. Dot org.